Hi, friend. Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is a show that's meant to help you remember who you truly are. I'm Ashley Stahl, a career expert, the author of the new book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, and Design Your Dream Career. It's now available everywhere books are sold. And it's my honor to bring you guest conversations or even a solo episode with me every single week, all designed to help you elevate your confidence in work, in love, and in life. This is a place for you to reconnect to who you truly are, what you truly want, and to really heal from anything that is telling you that you are otherwise. Wherever you are, I am so grateful to be here in your ears. And I also want to give a shout out with so much thanks to our sponsor, Organifi. You can find them over at Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. And when you use the U-Turn checkout code, you get 20% off your order. They make the most magical elixirs, whether it's powders for you to get your greens on every day, really tasty, clean protein powders to add into your diet. I have them every single morning probiotic powders to help you really heal and strengthen your immune system so much more now let's get in to this week's conversation it's like whatever your baseline is today doesn't have to predict your ceiling tomorrow it's just like those circumstances whatever you're facing does not have to define what's possible for you What's going on, U-Turners? I feel like more than ever with the year that we've had or we're having as a society, it is so important to reflect on how to be more resilient and how to make a comeback when times are tough, whether it's personally or as a whole, as a collective. And I was really excited to bring Sarah Wells onto the show, not only because she was an amazing Race Canada finalist, but because she's an Olympian, a motivational speaker, founder of the Believe Initiative, and just someone in general who has so much content around resilience. And so we wanted to talk about three steps to being more resilient, making a comeback. Uh, And I just want to ask her about her story and how she got to thrive um, so that you can do the same. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being here with me. Of course. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah. I I know that... um, you know, you think a lot about like how to bring your best, you know, as somebody who is a a hurdler and specializing in the 400 meter hurdles. (laughs) So I'm curious, like there's gotta be so many times that you didn't want to press on with it. Like what has made you into the person that keeps going? Yeah. So 400 meter hurdles is a miserable event. Many people will tell you that it is the worst event in track and field. (laughs) And that's simply because it's the longest sprint. So it's like anything beyond 400 meters, you start getting into more of like a distance running vibe where, you know, you have to dial back the intensity because you have to last longer. And in the 400 meters, it's like you are basically running your max for as long as possible. And so um, it's just such a miserable, painful event. But of course, I do love it. And it's provided me an incredible opportunity to meet so many people and see incredible parts of the world during like world championships or competitions um, I've been invited to or competing at. And the story of like my Olympic journey, well, one, 
I think an assumption people often make is that they assume Olympic athletes must have been like really good at sports their whole life. And for me, I'm actually a horrendous athlete. <laughs> like, I know that sounds hilarious, but in high school, I actually went out for it. So in my freshman year, I went out for like every single team possible, basketball, volleyball, soccer, field hockey, freaking badminton. <laughs> and I got cut from every single one of those teams. And I was fairly convinced I was the least athletic human on the planet. <laughs> oh my gosh, interesting. Yeah, I know. Like, and no one would ever expect that. But I had a high school teacher in the springtime see me in gym class. And he was like, oh, you should go for the track team. I want to teach you how to hurdle. And I was like, nah, man, like you don't want me on your team. Like I've already got caught from every team. Like I'm, I'm not athletic. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I think there's something there. So I ended up going out for the track team and found hurdles and fell in love with the sport and actually happened to be kind of good. And within eight months, I actually made my first national team. And I went to the world youth championships in Marrakesh, Morocco and competed on the international stage for the first time. And so it was just this like incredible, you know, even almost just like accidental <laughs> discovery of even being good at track and field. And I'm so grateful for my high school teacher who like helped push me into the sport because without him, I don't know what my life would have looked like. And that high school teacher and I actually stayed coach athlete for the next nine years until we made the Olympics together, which mm. is kind of wild. <laughs> no one really has their high school teacher as their coach or even sticks with one coach from begin to making the Olympic games. And so it's a really fun and unique story that I get to have as part of my journey. But I'm sure like the more interesting side of all of this is getting to the Olympics. And certainly for me, the year before my very first Olympics, um, I had a, I was at a training camp doing like crushing workouts, knowing that I had to crush workouts because I had actually never touched Olympic standard before, which is the minimum qualifying time you have to hit in order to make it. And so I'm crushing workouts, like feeling good. And then the morning after the biggest workout of the week, I get this like massive shooting pain at my leg. And it was super strange because I was like, well, I didn't do anything yesterday. Like there was no moment of impact. I didn't pull anything like what the heck and ended up going and seeing a special sports medicine doctor finding out that it was a stress fracture in my femur. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And a stress fracture is a deterioration of your bone from the inside out that eventually leads to a crack. And obviously your femur is your biggest bone in your body, your massive thigh bone. And so mm. the year before the Olympics, mine's breaking in half. Oh my God. And the doctor tells me I have to sit out for three months. And that three months actually ended up turning into nine months. And as I mentioned, I never touched Olympic standard before. So I knew I needed every day, every week, every month to make this dream come true. And now I feel like I'm watching this dream just like slip away. Mm. And on my first day back to training, after sitting out for those nine months, everyone reminded me to remain realistic, that this was already a pretty impossible goal. And I'd now made it a bit more challenging on myself by sitting around for nine months. <laughs> and on my first day back to training, with only six months to get back to who I was and then improve an entire second I got the word believe tattooed onto my wrist. And I said, when I make the Olympic Games, I'm going to put the Olympic rings underneath here. And through this, you know, other roller coaster ride of six months where, you know, I'm getting destroyed by people I should have never been beat by. And I feel silly even telling people I'm still going to make the Olympic Games because it feels so far away. 
but inch by inch, step by step, insert cliche line here. Um, six months later, I win the Olympic trials, go to the Olympic games and not just make it there, but then finish as an Olympic semifinalist and one of the youngest competitors in the field. And I came home and I finished that tattoo and I put the Olympic rings underneath the believe exactly where I said I would. Oh, amazing. And <laughs> what is it that you get from the experience, from that challenge? Because I, I was like how you described, I cheated in PE. It was the only class I've ever cheated in was PE. <laughs> Like I was such a good student except for physical fitness. And I remember we had to run on the track four times to get like a mile. Yeah. And I would lick my hand where they marked it with a marker after two times and like impress it on my other hand. So it looked like I ran. Oh my God. You're hilarious. Yeah. Like people used to be like, you're so fast. And I'm like, yeah, but deep down I was like, I'm the worst athlete ever. (laughs) And it was a miracle for me in college when I gave the freshman, well, I went way, I blew past the freshman 15. I think I did like the freshman 25 or something. (laughs) And what's so sad is that I wasn't a drinker. So it was like completely like cookies in the cafeteria that did it. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. And like Rice Krispie treats and like my little (laughs) meal card, Monopoly money. Yeah. Um, but I found like so much grit during that time. Cause I was in so much pain to not like my body and feel like almost embarrassed mm-hmm. in college. And, um, in high school, I was always like lean and healthy. And, and for me to have such a change and my clothes, not fit like that was just so traumatic. And so that was enough to get me running. Right. And even then, you know, like I don't feel athletic. I don't want to push through. And even today, if I go, like I stop after a mile, like what is going on in your head or what is it about the fitness piece of it that gives you that will to keep going? I think for me, it was like a really big, like a massive draw came from the fact that I just, I wanted this goal so badly (laughs) that it was, I was willing to push beyond maybe like what other people might look at what's possible. And I, I also think that I was really fortunate and it's, something I I tell people and encourage people to do quite often is that like, when you can't see it for yourself, find someone to show you what's possible. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I think I had this idea when, when I started sport that in order to make the Olympic games, you had to be like a superhuman that you had to have the perfect season where you never get injured and everything's flawless and you're always at the top. And I had a training partner the Olympics before I qualified for mine. Um, so the, the 2008 Olympics, I wasn't ready to qualify, but I had a training partner who actually did make the games. And I saw him in that year, get injured sometimes, have bad workouts, you know, have like mistakes made, yet he still made the Olympic games. And so by him showing me that, that like the season doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have to, you know, if we have a bad run one day or we have like, a cheat week. It's not even a cheat day, but we like just go hard for like a whole week. And we're like, Oh my God, like I'm throwing away my goals. That doesn't mean that you still can't get it. And I was talking to someone yesterday and I said that it's like, whatever your baseline is today doesn't have to predict your ceiling tomorrow. And Mm. it's just like those circumstances, whatever you're facing does not have to define what's possible for you. And so I think in workouts where, like I said, I was getting destroyed. I was getting like, you know, how am I telling people I'm going to make the Olympic games when Susie here who won't even make it out of like regionals is, is Mm -hmm. crushing me in workouts. And so I think it's about seeking that inspiration 
And that doesn't have to come from even a person you know, but like, you know, we're so fortunate to live in the world of the internet where like you can go and find a YouTube video, you can listen to a podcast, you can find someone to show you what's possible who's not even in your world, but that you just resonate with and that you understand and feel like they get what you're going through. And Mm. I just, I think that's the biggest thing that helped pull me back up off the track, like (laughs) in moments where I would like physically crumble, be like, I can't do it. Like this is Mm -hmm. dumb. And, and if you can find that for yourself and and it's not going to be, you know, (laughs) by no means am I saying, as soon as you see it, you'll be like instantly motivated. (laughs) But yeah. there's so many influencing factors around um, the infrastructure you can put your, put in place so that when you do have that spark of motivation and someone does show you it's possible, you have the tools and you are equipped to get back up and go for that thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's beautiful. Thing. <laughs> and I, I also, um, I know a lot of people are probably listening to you and thinking, you know, and, and it's really helpful that you said, like, I was not an athletic person because some people kind of go into a thought like, well, they just have a natural ability. It's natural. It's natural. Like, what are your beliefs about nature versus nurture, like being born with something versus make, creating something, given that you kind of created this part of yourself? Right. Well, and So, yeah, that's a great question. And I think you know, I haven't done a scientifically proven study to be able to speak to this with like numbers and facts the way that I'm sure it's, it's, um, deserves. But I know for me, I truthfully believe any single skill tactic ability has the capacity to be improved. And, Mm. and that's of course the, the nurture factor. And I think, yes, there's a certain level of genetic requirement for someone to be like Usain Bolt or, you know, potentially have the, I don't know, to take it out of a physical sense, like, I don't know, any, someone we might respect for their ability to view marketing funnels in a certain way. Like they could just, like they work so visually and they can just quickly put pieces together and be like, oh, you should do this, this, and this, this. And it just seems so innate to them. Um, Mm -hmm. so there might be a predisposed baseline that, yeah, they get to start from a a line further ahead, but that doesn't mean that you can't take step forwards from wherever your baseline is. And so I, I really believe that, that they're both come into play nature and nurture Mm -hmm. and there's, and I forget the quote, but it's like hard work wins over ability every time or (laughs) whatever the quote is. Um, because true there's, there's athletes I, I know I would have raced against that. Like they should have, and I'm using air quotations for your listeners to, you know, picture, um, they should have beat me, but I was a person who was willing to work so hard and build up my mental fortitude that in a moment where like other people might break down and give up in a race or let their circumstances define their outcome, I wasn't going to be that person. And so regardless of what you're facing and what you're going through, you have the ability to make it better. And again, I'm, mm. I'm not going to say that like there aren't things that aren't in your control. There absolutely is stuff that's just out of your hands. And unfortunately, like we might all have to deal with an obstacle that like we feel completely put um, in a box with, you know, and we're just like, I can't act on this. And that sucks. But mm-hmm something that I say in one of my tactics, um, around building resilience is that like choice is the biggest precursor to you bouncing back or overcoming obstacles, because 
regardless of how much your hands feel tied. Um, and, and actually a really good kind of scenario to overlay this with is my experience on the amazing race. So for people who don't know what that is, it's like an epic scavenger hunt all over the world. You do challenge after challenge. And as long as you're not last to the checkpoint, you get to continue on through the race. Mm-hmm. If you're last, mm-hmm. you get eliminated. But with that, it's like the whole show is, is set in stone. Like the challenges tell you where to go. Uh, they're preset. Like you don't get to choose what obstacles you end up facing. You're stuck with your partner the whole time, whether they're strengths, weaknesses, you know, no matter what you're facing. And so it can seem like in that moment, I have no choice. But you always have a choice in the mindset that you adopt when facing your next challenge. And so how can you, how can you put yourself back into the seat of control and recognize, you know, nature, nurture, yes, they're both at play, but you can simply make a choice that you are going to show up for yourself, for the people around you, for your goal and work hard or seek opportunity or skill to bring yourself closer to that goal. I love that. Okay. And I know you have a few points just around like making a comeback or being more resilient. And the first one you'd mentioned was like to assess. What does it really mean for people to really assess um, themselves, their lives um, as it relates to getting more resilient? So I, I'm actually going to share another second half of my story before I get into that. And so remind me that that's the question you asked when I loop back to it, because I think it's important for the listeners to here, the other half of my Olympic journey for me to fully dive into that. And basically, so after I make the Olympics in 2012, it's great. You know, I'm Sarah Wells, the Olympian now, and I get to start talking on stages about if, if you believe in yourself, you achieve your goal. Like I had got this tattoo and then, you know, with, with all the obstacles against me, I make the dream happen and I believe it. And I'm like, I feel like, oh my God, I got to tell everyone this, like the power of believing in yourself. Like we hear it all the time, but like, we think it's fluffy and it's not, I saw it work and I saw it work quickly in six months. And so I'm really like living this message and I'm trying to share it with everyone possible. And four years later, the Olympics comes back around. Now Mm -hmm. leading into the Olympics, I had raced at the Pan American games, which is basically this half of the world. It's North America, Central America, and South America. So that's really like the sprint countries. So for me, that, that final at that Pan Am games championships was basically like an Olympic final. And I ended up winning a silver medal and only losing to the number one ranked girl in the world. And so I was like, okay, I've just proven to myself that I'm ready at the Olympics next year, 2016, I'm going to win a medal and then I'm going to retire and my life's going to be awesome. (laughs) Right. Had the whole plan in place. And two months before the 2016 Olympic trials, I had a workout on a Tuesday. Tuesday, I run so fast, probably the fastest I've ever run in my whole life. I go to bed Tuesday night being like, perfect. I'm right on track. This is great. Wednesday, I wake up and I look at my workout schedule and I have another really big workout on the plan. But my hamstrings, the muscle on the back of my legs, they're super tight, which makes perfect sense because I'd just gone super fast the day before. So that's a normal reaction. And like anyone who works out would know that feeling. But I start to go in my you know, crazy brain. And I'm sure we've all been there (laughs) where I'm like, okay, well, there's only two months before the 2016 Olympic trials. And if I miss this workout, then there's no time to slot it back in, which means if I miss it, it's gone. And I don't get the opportunity to put this work in. Now, if I want to win a medal, I have to do everything I can. If I don't do this, I'm not doing everything I can. If I don't do everything I can, I won't make the Olympics. If I don't make the Olympics, I won't win a medal. 
so I'll work out anyways. And I go Mm. to the track and I work out anyways. And in that workout, I end up tearing my hamstring. Oh my gosh. And if you can imagine what it feels like to have a Ziploc bag full of air, tightly sealed, placed into the back of your leg, and then just have someone stomp on it and explode. That's what it feels like to tear your hamstring. (laughs) And the noise was so loud. It sounded like a gunshot when it exploded. And I face planted to the floor. I started bawling my eyes out because I'm two months before the 2016 Olympic trials. And I now have a gaping hole in my leg. And I rushed back. I did everything I could to rehab acupuncture, cryo chambers, like shockwave, laser therapy, you name it, I did it. And by the time the 2016 Olympic trials came around, I ended up um, running the race, like leading the race for like half of it. Like I was like, okay, no one wants this more than me. Like I've got this announcer over the PA systems, like, and that's Sarah Wells and lane four. I'm like, shut up, man, trying to focus. (laughs) Like I need to Mm -hmm. do this. Coming into the final corner, I'm like fighting with the other girls. Like we're sprinting, like pouring everything into this. We lean at the line and I get fourth and I miss qualifying by half a second because only top three go. Wow. And I'm heartbroken. And I share this story in my keynotes all the time of when I left the track that day and we pulled into the driveway of the house we were staying at, I couldn't go into the house because I couldn't accept that this pursuit was over, that there wasn't like one more good workout, one more good sleep for recovery. Like it was it, it was done in Mm -hmm. half a second, four years of work, four years of my life, four years of sweat. It all felt like such a waste. And so instead of going into the house, I just kind of opened the car door, fell onto the driveway, laid in fetal position and cried and cried because I felt like I had wasted four years of my life. And how does, you know, someone who's been known as Sarah Wells, the Olympian for four years, how does Sarah Wells, the Olympian not make the Olympics? Mm. And it was so heartbreaking. And after that moment, I took an entire year off of sport. I didn't go back to the track. It was too hard. It was too painful. And I took a ton of time to stop and like reflect Because part of it was that I questioned everything because I had been for four years telling everyone, if you believe in yourself, you achieve your goal. But now I believed in myself and I did not achieve my goal. So was it a lie? And I started to recognize that, you know what? I actually believe in myself more strongly after not making the Olympic Games, even more so than when I did, because I was still willing to stand on the start line, go for it anyways, regardless of knowing the outcome. And so that showed me a strength inside of myself that I didn't know that I had. And so that's when I founded my organization that I now call the Believe Initiative. Because I realized, you know what? You don't build self-belief through achievements. You build self-belief through action, through getting back up, taking those actions. And that's where I was like, okay, how can I help other people build self-belief through action? And so when you just asked me, you know, how do we, how do we assess? And like my, my three steps to building resilience are assess, choose, and act. And assess is around really just like pause and process. And because you need to, you need to work with like what's happening at play. So ask yourself the question, like what's happening right now? Not 
what's happening right now. And then what that means for three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, <laughs> like don't attach any interpretation or meaning. You're simply asking what's happening right now. What facts am I working with? What are the things that are going on around me? And that's really what, what assess is, is pause and process in choose. This is really about making choices to take back control. And really, you know, a tactic that I share in the choose section is around controlling the controllables. And I challenge anyone going through any type of obstacle to draw a big circle on the page, like in the center. And then on the outside of the circle, write everything that you can't control. Let it out like, oh, this is annoying to me. I can't do, do anything about this. And this is frustrating. And I hate this part. And I'm confined here. And I'm, you know, my hands feel tied here. Write it all down and like, get it out. And then... Mm. In the inside of the circle, write down all of the things that you actually can control. You know, I can control like how I allocate my calendar, where I choose to build success, where I spend the dollars in um, in resources, in in um, marketing, or in courses, or in you know whatever that is. In you know getting a coach or finding someone to work with me or whatever that is, and then promise yourself (laughs) to only focus on the things that are inside the circle because there's no point in wasting time and energy in what's going on outside of the circle because you can't control it and you can't make change or act upon it. And so promise yourself to focus that energy in the circle. And that's like one tactic you can do around choose. And then finally act. This is the step where you start to chart your course of like, how do you get from where you are to where you hope to be in six months, a year, you know, five years, whatever that is. And in that process, (laughs) don't get me wrong, it can be overwhelming because if we start to look too far down the line of like, okay, well, like I'm facing this obstacle and like in order to get where I need to be, I have to do X, Y, Z, 7, 800, 972, (laughs) you know, these Mm -hmm. following steps. Mm -hmm. And if you start thinking about that, that can be overwhelming. And what I recommend people do is I share a tactic that I call hurdle one. And it comes from a story of, uh, remember I was mentioning to you, I, I won a silver medal at the Pan Am Games. And mm-hmm. that international championships, there's, there's qualifying rounds and then there's finals. And in the qualifying rounds, um, it was a really windy, windy day. And in the 400 meter hurdles, it's one big lap around the track. There are 10 hurdles and you actually hurdle with both lead legs. So you jump over the hurdle with a certain leg forward, right? And similarly to the same way you would kick a soccer ball with a leg, you have a favorite leg you would kick a soccer ball with. I have a favorite leg that I like to lead over the hurdle with. (laughs) But because as you get more tired, your stride length shortens because your muscles get less elastic because they're more more tired. (laughs) So there's a, a race pattern and strategy that I have where if I get my bad leg, at hurdle one, which is the leg I don't like as much. If I get my bad leg to hurdle one, well, then by the time I get to the end of the race, I can hurdle with my good leg so that I feel more strong. I feel more confident in it, even when I'm getting tired. So I know I need to get my bad leg at hurdle one. And in the qualifying rounds of the Pan Am Games, I it's super windy. And so the wind threw me off and I actually ended up getting my good leg at hurdle one which set me up wrong. And I ended up getting my bad leg as I was getting tired coming into the home stretch. And so that did not go as planned. (laughs) And so after the race, I asked my coach, okay, well, tomorrow for the final, should we change something? Should we switch my, my starting blocks? Should I like adjust because the wind, 
And he was like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Like the wind's not going to be as strong tomorrow. And we've been working with the plan that we set up all year. So don't screw up the plan. Like don't change the plan now. And so I'm like, okay, like we got this. And we, uh, in like a, a championship race, they walk all of the runners out onto the track. And then you're allowed to do one practice run over just one hurdle. And then you walk back to your starting blocks and the starter says, on your marks, which are the scariest words of all time. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah. Just like literally so anxiety. Um, but when I went to go do my run out in the final to get over, to like just do that practice run, I ended up getting knocked back by the wind a little bit. And then I ended up getting my good leg to hurdle one, which is not what I wanted. And so I was like, Oh no, it's going to happen again. Just like it did yesterday. Like, should I change my starting blocks? Like, what should I do? And I'm like seconds away from starting this race. And so I look mm -hmm. up into the stance to try to find my coach. Thousands of people are there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe I could find him because I just want to like motion to him. Like I'm, I'm going to switch my block. <laughs> and I just want him to nod and be like, yes, good idea. Just wanted the reassurance, but I couldn't find him. And so I walk back to my starting blocks. And as the starter says, on your marks, I pick up my starting blocks and I move them to actually change which leg I was going to come out of the starting blocks with. Because that way, even if the wind affected me, I could still add an extra step. And I did that, like, just being like, well, can't turn the wind, so turn the sails, kind of thing, that old African proverb. And so I adjusted my starting blocks. Now I've just changed the entire plan seconds before one of the biggest races of my life. And so in my brain, I am trying to override its normal pattern. And so I'm used to coming out with one leg out of the box and I just had to keep telling myself left leg, left leg, left leg, because I need to rewire it in an instant. And so when the starter bangs the gun off, I come out, I drive to hurdle one, I get over the hurdle with my bad leg, which is what I wanted. And then everything else falls into place and I end up winning a silver medal. Mm -hmm. And so I ask people, you know, in that act phase, what is your hurdle one? What is the one thing that you can be doing right now, that small step, just the first tiny little obstacle that you can focus on and overcome that will set you up for the rest of the race? And it doesn't have to be anything big. Like, who can you reach out to for advice? Who, like, what small thing can you do that feels like almost so effortless, almost so easy that you wouldn't even count it as a step? But if you can do 10, 11, 12, 15, 19, 100 of those effortless steps, then you're going to suddenly look back and have made it so much further along down the path than you ever thought possible. And so I love that. Like, think of like, what is your hurdle one? And so assess, choose, act. And then I have, like I said, a ton of tactics. And I, uh, I do a webinar all around this for an hour. And I know we don't have that full time today, but, um, but yes, that's how people can build up that resilience and make those choices and actions to overcome and bounce back. Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-turnpodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. 
you know, one thing that came up as I was listening to you speak was just like this idea of anxiety and like, I've, you know, having coached so many job seekers myself, like one of the things I learned more and more is that the secret to getting the job is usually not what you know, but managing your anxiety because so many people get so weird, including me when we have anxiety and it's like, we could have the perfect cupcake, but if you sprinkle anxiety on it, it doesn't taste good anymore. Right, right. I'm curious, like, how do you manage your anxiety? Because it feels like being an athlete in the way that you have, uh, it's like, it seems to always come down to like that half second or Mm -hmm. that, that one race that you might have had a breakup or like, you know, tripped and fell that day before. Like there's so many factors in life that take us off our game a little bit sometimes. And it feels so stressful for me to even think that like everything you've worked towards comes to this one moment. Like how do you create a good relationship with yourself and your anxiety so that you can like calm that voice in your head and like start executing? So yes, I love that because we, something we all deal with and something that like, you know, on a daily basis, basis I am like practicing and like continuously working on because it's not it's a skill that like you're always in new environments and suddenly it feels different and novel and you're scared and you're like how am I going to deal with this and so it's something we all have to be kind of consistently working on managing and working with because you don't want to get rid of of that sensation of of you know maybe the term anxiety is now crossing the barrier of what's healthy but um that sensation of feeling anxious um, is, is actually helpful. You know, it's, it's just as much our friend as it is our enemy and it protects us and is there to protect us. And we have to be compassionate and understand that like, we actually need that feeling. We don't want to get rid of it. We just want to work with it. And so, um, for me, something I would lean on quite heavily is visualization because I know, you know, for anyone who's done anything new, the first time you do it, it's way scarier than the second, third, fourth time. And that, also came true for me, um, even in the way I would run heats. So like the qualifying rounds and then the finals, the finals are technically like, you know, more important. There's more on the line, you know, like this is your opportunity for a medal, but sometimes I would be even more nervous for the qualifying rounds because it might be the first time I'm doing it that day or the first time I'm doing it, like since my last race, which was two weeks ago or three weeks ago. And so it can be more frightening and more scary. And so what I would do is I would actually, on the day of my race, sit on my bed and I would start my watch when I imagined myself coming out of the blocks. And then I would swing my arms as if I was running beside me. So I'd be sitting on a chair or on my bed, moving my arms like I'm running. My eyes would be closed. And I would be going through my race pattern of like, okay, at hurdle one, I'm going to think this. And then suddenly now I'm feeling the wind at my back and I'm going back down like the back stretch. And at hurdle four, I want to I say this word out loud. And at hurdle seven, I'm going to look to my right and like challenge the girl beside me. And like at hurdle 10, I'm going to think this and feel this. And then I'm going to charge the finish line. And then when I lean, I would stop my watch. And I would actually get within one to two seconds of what I would actually go and run later that day. Because I had envisioned the race so many times and like ingrained it into my brain. I knew my cues. I knew the perfect execution that by the time I stood on the starting line for the actual race, it, it wasn't the first time I was there. It was the seventh, eighth time that day that I had been in that position, dealing with those nerves, having to execute the perfect race. And so by providing yourself an opportunity to, to exercise what that 
process and outcome is. And it's important to include the process because I couldn't just picture myself winning at the start line because that didn't tell me how I got there. And so what are the skills and, you know, in this um, like contextual model that I have that describes the process I take people through on how to build resilience and like how we help teams do this. Um, there's influencers and influencers on that, the three-step method. And one of those influencers are your habits. And that can come from the process. Like what are the things that you are doing that allow you to become successful? And so dealing with that anxiety, I think like if you can visualize and understand the steps that it's going to take to get to that desired result, then you suddenly feel far more comfortable. Like I know what I'm doing and you don't have to know, you know, sport specifically for like my event is like different than the world on whole. And like, you know, someone starting a business being like, well, I don't know how I'm getting to the end result, but you might know Mm. how you're getting to your next sale, or you might know how you're getting to your next line of revenue or your next role or your next promotion. And so visualizing that and the process that, that goes along with it, that's, what's going to help you know, okay, I know what I'm doing. I know the things that are going to help me get there. And I need to focus on that. Mm, That's beautiful. And um, as far as, you know, one thing you talked about was how bad you wanted your goal. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there is such an aliveness that somebody can experience when they have a goal that moves them in that way or Mm -hmm. pulls them forward. And it almost like blinds you from your old story that you can't do something because you want something so bad that the belief that you can't do it just is, doesn't work for you. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Like what suggestions do you have for anybody? Because your goal was so unique, you know, mm. like so random Sarah, but also not <laughs> incredible. Like I'm going to be in the Olympics, you know, like I, anybody can pick any goal. Like what suggestions do you have for people to tune into like what goals are meant for them? You know? Yeah. I think, I mean, that can come from, questioning, like a line of questioning really around, you know, if you were to tell the story of your life in five years, like not even like your whole life, but like from now until five years from now, like what do you hope would, would it, would that include or entail? And like, what things have you learned? What people have you met? Which, yeah. What like skills have you developed and what does that look like? And then saying, okay, well, which of these feel most important? And do I want these things or do I think other people want me to want those things? (laughs) And then once you sift through that and figure out what's really yours and what you really feel passionate about, well then the way you turn that into your life's work or like a business or whatever is like, okay, well now how am I solving a problem with that thing? And like, for me, I wasn't solving a problem necessarily by going to the Olympics other than like, I mean, potentially my, the, problem I was solving was like, I wanted to make a career out of speaking and I had already a little bit begun some of it. And now I could solve this problem for myself. Like I'd have a story to tell, like what a thing to have. And if I do this thing, I, that's in my back pocket. And, you know, in a different light, it could be like, okay, I love, I love podcasting, (laughs) you know, like that's what I love. And my goal is to make my podcast like bigger and better and amazing and then help other people do that. And so it's like, okay, if you can find the way and tactics and build skills and put people into your network to help you make that amazing 
And then you go and turn that into a course that helps other people like start theirs and build it and find the community and like build the tribe. Like you've now done the thing you love to do, made a certain like splash in the marketplace, and then you've gone and created impact with that for others. And so Mm -hmm. I think in picking a goal, it starts with a line of questioning of like, what is it that you want? What is it um, that the story you hope to tell? How can you then equip yourself with the tools and resources necessary to like live out that (laughs) ideal scenario? And then Mm -hmm. how can you help solve a problem and make an impact once you've done the thing? Because I think acts of service are like, you know, the most rewarding thing ever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know what? I, I love what you're saying because it's like getting connected to yourself and getting tuned into like what story you want to tell is so important. And I feel like sometimes it's tempting in a world that isn't always dri- driven by ego, of course, but like there's a lot of like uh, people wanting to survive, wanting to get by. And like, I think in society more than ever, like being, getting more followers usually guarantees more success as an online influencer, for example. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes it's tempting to come to goals from, you know, a place of like, how do I look impressive or, and so I would probably add to what you were saying, like, don't just tune into the story you hope to tell, but maybe explore why, like why yeah. do you want to tell that story? Because some people are going to say, I want to say that I'm making this much money and doing that. And there's nothing wrong with any of it, but sometimes it's like, it's not going to give you that itch you're hoping to, or you that scratch you're hoping to get on that itch, Yeah, you know, yeah. It's not going to place, which is so helpful. Um, any final words of wisdom before I ask you where everybody can find you and follow you? Like this has been so great. <laughs> um, oh gosh. No, like what final statement? I mean, every, like the fundamental thing I think in everything that I've said here today is that like, I think the foundation of all of this is you have to believe in yourself to do any of this. You have to believe that like you can build the skill or you have to believe that, that you can find the confidence or believe that it is possible because if you don't believe that it's possible, how are you going to make the tough choices necessary as you're going along this path? And if you don't believe that it's possible, how are you going to overcome the obstacles that we can almost guarantee that you will face on that path if you don't even believe that you can get what's on the other side? And so the fundamental core, I think, of any and all of this is like, what beliefs do you have about yourself? What do you believe is possible? And, And make sure that you are fueling the fire that tells you like, you do believe in yourself because I think at its core, that is, that is everything that enables you to, to do the assess, choose act method and enables you to uncover what's possible for you. So um, that's maybe my last word of wisdom. (laughs) And where can everybody follow you and learn more from you and take your webinar as well? Yeah. So you can find out more about my youth organization called the believe initiative um, at believeinitiative.com. You can sign up for the webinar at resilience-inc.com. Um, we kind of run them periodically and um, basically wait till we have a list of a decent number of hundreds of people, and then we'll run another one. So if you want to head at resilience-inc.com. And then, of course, social media. I'm Sarah Wells 400 MH, which is like Sarah Wells 400 meter hurdles. Big regrets on my social media handles, but <laughs> you know, that's where we're at. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again so much for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank 
Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. In the meantime, if you heard about any resource that you're interested in from one of our guests, you can find it listed in our show notes on the podcast tab of my website, ashleystahl.com. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com. On that page, you'll also see our free quiz to help you discover what career path you're actually meant for. And of course, we cannot thank you enough for written podcast reviews. I read every single one. I get so motivated from reading your words and it just means the world to me that you take a moment if you have an Apple device and you write an actual review for me. Thank you so much for doing that. Appreciate you being here and cannot wait to connect with you next week. Thank you.